And if you're visiting with us online, thank you for joining with us today. Um, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community Church. Thank you for those of you who are praying uh, for me this last weekend. I was, I was kind, of, kind of serious and kind of uh, jokingly, I told people that I had three missionary journeys this, this summer. So I went to Chihuahua, Mexico, where we were working with an unreached people group there. I spent a, a week in uh, northern India and then hosted an Indian pastor for, and his wife for about a week. This last weekend, my third missionary journey was back to Cincinnati, Ohio for my 50th high school reunion. My 50th high school reunion. And, and, and that's one of those ones you, you think, well, I make it to that time. And uh, it was an amazing time. Many of you prayed. I had lots of opportunities to share my faith, to share testimony, to talk about you all, to brag on you guys. And uh, it was just a real joy. I, I had opportunity after we showed uh, a video tribute to the 55 people in my class who've already passed away. Um, they asked me if I, ahead of time if I would pray. And so uh, I didn't know how that would go, but, but people were just quiet and, and crying and weeping during that time. I had many, many conversations after that. They've since asked me to, to post my prayer on, our, on the website which as most of us don't, we don't write out all our prayers, so I'm gonna have to, I tell them I'll do my best, you know, but, um, but thank you for your prayers for us and uh, for that time. So this Sunday, we are completing our series in the book of James, um, and our message today is from James chapter five, verses 19 and 20, and the title for this time will be a rescue mission, rescue mission. And it won't be up quite yet, but I want to read our text, and then I want to pray if you'll join me for that. It says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've given us your word that we might know truth, that we might know sound doctrine, how to think about you, how to think about ourselves, how to think about life, how to think about trials, how to think about provision, how to think about all kinds of things. Your word is also given to reprove us, to tell us when our thoughts are wrong and our actions are wrong. Your word gives us correction as well to teach us how we need to, to make the adjustments to get back on the right path in our lives. And it's to train us to live lives that are godly and Christ-like and honoring to you. Thank you for your word, Lord. We need it. Left to our own thinking, we'll go astray. Left to our own choices, we'll make wrong decisions decisions. Today, Lord, let your good word have its way in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, to remind us of things, to put your finger on, on areas of our lives and attitudes that we have, wrong thinking that we have, actions that you want us to take that are different than we are, that are now. Lord, help us have faith for that. Help us have humble responses to you. Lord, help me to communicate your truth in a way that really serves these people that you love, these people that you've left here on a mission with a purpose 
to further your kingdom, to further Jesus' name in this life. So, Lord, help us to be good disciples during this time, to learn from you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In my first year of marriage, uh, I was part of a very radical kind of a Christian movement that was going on, and we would just drop jobs or drop you know, what we were doing and just kind of go and do crazy things. And in my first year of marriage, I gave notice to my, my job. I'm leaving with, with my wife for a period of time, and we went up to East Lansing, Michigan, to Michigan State University to try and make as big of an impact in that campus as we could during that week. And so we went out on that campus, and we... Uh, we preached open air almost every day. We passed out hundreds and hundreds of tracts, had lots of conversations. We'd go into a, to a dorm, and we would uh, run up and down the floors and knock on the doors and say, hey, there's a band downstairs. You should come down. They'd come down, and we'd be singing Christian songs, and then we would tell them about Jesus. But we were getting very little response, and it wasn't because of the message but we were getting very little response during that time. And on the second or third day of this, of this uh, outreach, while we were outside preaching open air during that day, uh, this, this hippie-looking guy came up to me. And he just had, back then this was uh, the way we dressed, you know, kind of like the way you dress today, ripped out jeans, you know, and long hair and... You know, he just didn't look like he had just been just kind of hanging out someplace. And he came up with this big smile on his face. And he said, I know Jesus. And so we had fellowship. We started talking together. And throughout the whole week, anything we were doing, any Bible study we did, any meal that we did, Mark was there. Mark was there with us through the whole week long. And he was really sad because at the end of the week, we needed to head back to Columbus, Ohio, about five or six hours away. And I said to him, Mark, it's been great getting to know you and I hope you get involved with some fellowship here. He said, I said, but, you know, if you're ever coming through Columbus, Ohio, and here's my address, you know, stop in. Four months later, I got this knock on my door. And Wendy and I were having pizza and Pepsi together and opened the door and there was Mark. I said, Mark. It's cool. What's up? He said, well, I was kind of traveling south, and you said stop in, so here, I'm at, here I am. And I said, well, that's great. I said, uh, come on in. Have some pizza. Have some, have some Pepsi and stuff like that. I sat down, and we talked, and we reminisced about our time up there, and we started fellowshiping a little bit. I said, so how long can you stay? He said, as long as you got Pepsi and pizza, and I'm learning something, I'm gonna, I'll stay. And so he lived in my house for six months. <laughs> I had to teach a young college-age kind of a guy how to be considerate to my wife and not leave all his clothes all over the place and everything. As you, as you can imagine, it was, it was a transition season for him. But he moved into one of the guy's houses there, and he got involved very active with our, with our church. And he asked me one day, he said, hey, you know, what's the fastest someone has ever become a pastor who's been a part of this church? And I said, well, actually, there's one guy. His name is Terry. And Terry became a pastor in four years. He said, wow, that's really cool. That's really great. And about two years after that, I was part of a team to go to uh, 
the University of Maryland where we started our first church there and then eventually that church started this church. And Mark was back there in Columbus, Ohio. But when four years to the day came um, that he had shown up, he was not a pastor. He was not a leader of the church. He was involved in the church. And he said, that's it, I'm done. And he left the church and he went off and uh, went back to an old lifestyle. He got his degree and he moved to San Francisco and I lost track of him. And each one of us probably can tell a story of someone who we've had fellowship with and we've, we've poured our lives into them and they were good friends with us. And, and as Christians, we, we did activities together and we did outreaches together and we served together and we had dreams together and we talked about the things of God together. And yet, as time went on, something changed and they left. They left. And sometimes we found out where they were and we talked with them, but many times we probably just did nothing or did very little. And as James is finishing up his book here, this is kind of the message he stopped on at the very end. It's not like other epistles where you kind of have your last goodbyes and greetings from people and so forth and, or a benediction at the end, but this is kind of a, a sermon where at the end of the sermon, he leaves us with this, this thought, this issue. And I want to share with you the big idea from this thought is that when someone wanders from the truth, do what you can to rescue them. When someone wanders away from the truth, do what you can to rescue them. And we have two points from our text today. And the first point is this. Some among us will wander away. Some among us will wander away. Look at the first portion of our text here. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If someone among you wanders away from the truth, now, this is kind of a Hebrew understanding of the truth. And the, and the Hebrews, when they thought about truth, they weren't just thinking about knowledge and information. They were thinking about the implications of that truth on your life and the way that you live your life when you believe a truth. Like if we believe this place is on fire right now and someone says, hey, this place is on fire, and you kept sitting there, I would say you don't believe the truth. <laughs> but if you know the truth and it causes a response, a way that you live differently, that's, that's the kind of understanding that we have here in our text here. My brothers, so we see he's talking to believers here. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. You know, people will wander away from relationships that we have. There'll be people who are in this room today, and some will go because of job opportunities or perhaps to help out with a family member or, you know, for various reasons, God will have people leave the church. 
but they're still part of God's church. They're still part of the family of God. They're still actively connected to the body of Christ. They're still involved. But the reality is, in a, in a group this size, it's very likely that some will wander from the truth. And it could be doctrinal. Someone will say, you know, this Bible stuff, I just, I just can't agree with it. I just disagree. I just can't follow this. I'm just not sure this is, is my truth. And so there will, be, there will be people who will say it's because of a doctrine, because it's a doctrinal truth. And there will be some people who will say, I'm just not happy. I'm just not able to live the way I want to live. I just don't like this restrictions that I see in the Bible, and I don't want to live this way. And people will, live, will leave because of that. And actually, you'll find that people who leave because of doctrine tend to start changing their moral values as well. And people who, who leave on the basis of moral values or moral issues tend to, for conscience sake, start changing their doctrines so that they can live with the way and choices that they're making. But for whatever reason, people leave the fellowship of the believers of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, we read about a man named Demas. And Paul was writing, he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas loved this present world. And if you had been paying attention to Demas' names, you would see that from Rome, uh, Demas is mentioned in the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians, where you know, he says, hey, Demas greets you, and you know, together with the other brothers. So you see that Demas had been part probably of the leadership there at the time, but now at the end of Paul's life as he's writing 2 Timothy, he says, Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and left. This word wander, it's kind of a, it kind of has this idea of a, of a planet kind of wandering off its course or wandering away. It's kind of a celestial kind of a term. And sometimes it's unintentional and sometimes perhaps it is intentional, the wandering away. But when I think about Demas, it should put a kind of a sober thought in our hearts and minds as we think about how, you know, I kind of love this world too. I kind of love some of the things in this world that kind of draw me away from God as well. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, verse, excuse me, Philippians 3, verse 18, which is not on the screen, but Paul said this. He was talking about uh, other, other people he had been with. He said, um, he said that I'm, I, he was calling them to follow him and follow his example. And then he says, now I'm writing these things with tears because some of those people he had been with had now become enemies of the cross of Christ. And he said, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They set uh, their mind on earthly things, and they glory in their shame. 
Some of the people who wander away, who love this world, glory in their shame. And they become the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul experienced that. He saw that. And we also have the account from 2 Timothy 4, verse 14. It says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Some people will leave and actually be the opposition. And I appreciate how Jesus gave us some insights, I believe, from the, and a, a very familiar account from Luke chapter 8, the account of the sower and the seed. And it says this in verses 5 through 8, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on a rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. So Jesus, I think, gives us <clears throat> some insight as to what's, what's going on in our lives. But it, what's going on as we think about these people who are wandering away? What's, what's happened or what might be happening here? And so you have four kinds of soils or four kinds of hearts that are described here. The first one would be the hard heart. Verse from, uh, from Luke 8, verses 11 and 12. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. And many times when we share the word or we're involved with situations, it just seems like the word just kind of bounces off. You know, you share it there and it just doesn't connect at all. They don't hear it. And the Bible says it's not a hearing issue. It's a, it's a heart issue. There's a hard heart. And secondly, we have what we'll call the detached heart. In verse 13, it says, The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So there's these people who look like they, they became believers. I mean, they had joy. They were there. They're excited. There's a lot of you know, involvement even for a period of time. But it says that when they heard, they had this joy. But it says there was no root. They believed for a while. But when the testing came, they fell away. And so they were detached. There was not a, there was not a, a faith such that, that brought about a really relationship and the Holy Spirit transforming their lives. And I think as, as parents, you know, we long to hold on to that emotional, exciting time for perhaps our kids or grandkids. And we saw, we saw some life. We saw some involvement. We saw some joy but there's nothing to say that there's any life any longer. And I don't see the heart, and I don't know exactly where your son or daughter or good friend or family member, I don't, I don't know. Only God knows. But Jesus does give us this text in order to help us to, to, to have some discernment as what may be the reality in that situation. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that, they're, that they all are not of us. The fact when people go away and stay away is also a truth that we need to hold on to. <laughs> because if they leave, if they walk away, if they leave God, they leave his ways, they leave the truth, their life isn't changing. He says, that may be that they were not one of us. I don't share these things with you to dishearten you, but that you might have God's truth and we could take appropriate steps of action, perhaps. And then thirdly, we see from the, the parable of the soils, we see the worldly heart. Verse 14, it says, And as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And I think that this probably is, is more when we're looking at our, our, our text here today. I think this is probably most likely of what has happened in, in many of these situations where people have walked away. Very likely they are believers. Very likely they've, they've, they've put their trust in Christ. But they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and their fruit does not mature. Their fruit does not mature. And someone may argue that this means that they're not Christians and I'm not gonna argue with you, but I'm just saying in terms of our application today, I, I find that this is probably more likely what's happening as we consider our text today. That cares, riches, pleasures, all these things are choking this person's lives. First John chapter two, verses 15 and 16 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And so there's, there's a reality that we were created to love God, to worship Him, to serve Him. And we are tempted by the things of this life to exchange God for things in this life, for the things of this world. And this is frequently what we're dealing with, I think, in our own lives as well as those who have left. And then fourthly, he talks about the believing heart, verse 15, as for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, or that's the idea of believing. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And that patience implies testing, it implies difficulties, it implies heartache, setbacks, all the things that would, would seek to pull us away, and yet the believing heart remains steadfast, seeking God. So, some among us will wander away. And our second point is, who will seek to bring them back? Who will seek to bring them back? 
Again, our text, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. If any of you sees or knows that someone has wandered away, know this, that if you bring back that person from their wandering, you've saved their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now the commentators probably lean towards this application being a, a non-believer, but there's, but there's equally a lot of uh, commentators who will say this also could apply to believers as well. This also applies to believers as well. Because some would say there's not a lot of times where the Christians are referred to as a sinner, although, uh, and we're usually kind of identifying or recognizing that we have been, we are now saints by calling. But at the same time, you will see the Apostle Paul talking about how he's the, the, the worst sinner of all. He's the chiefest of sinners. And so I think that there's room to understand this as a, as a believer who's sinning and fallen into sin. And secondly, if we were to look at the context here, this idea of salvation, it says in, in James 5, just before this section, it says that this person who is, uh, who is sick and we're praying for him, it says that, they were, that the prayer of faith will save them, will save them. So there's reason to believe that this person who has wandered away now under consequences of his sin or discipline from the Lord is going to die prematurely, it seems, because of his lifestyle. And so the call here to... to Rescue the believers with this section, I think, really applies because, you know, this person who was once with us is now living like a sinner and they've wandered away and they need to be saved because they're going to kill themselves. Their lifestyle is headed for death. And there's a multitude of sins associated with that life. I've really, really, really loved uh, the opportunity to uh, serve with Eric Mersch. Uh, Eric, when he came on staff, kind of inherited the years of uh, singles who had come up through our youth ministry and joined along the way. And he was kind of plugged into that season because he'd come out of Campus Crusade for Christ and, we, and he was a lot younger than the rest of us. And so we thought he'd do a great job. But a lot of the people that he began reaching out to were already wandering away or had wandered away already. And over years now, I say, hey, Eric, what's up today? He says, oh, I'm having lunch with this person. I'm having lunch with this person. I'm getting together with this person. And these people are not part of our regular church. They're not actively involved. They haven't been involved in a long time, not months, perhaps even years. And he continues to go after them like a good shepherd would. And I so appreciate that because my, my default is, hey, if they don't want to be here, I hope they find a place that they like to be. 
And I'm, I'm struck by his example of a good shepherd who really pays attention to those situations, those people. And that, that reflects the chief shepherd of this church. That reflects the heart of God towards those who have wandered away. Doctrinally, morally, whatever the reason. Perhaps they were hurt. Perhaps we offended them. Perhaps their offenses with our church. But for whatever reason, he has sought to care for them and to see them restored to fellowship once again. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. I told you about Mark. Mark took off, left no address. I was out here in the, the East Coast at the time, but the fellowship there of the church continued to reach out to him and tried to restore him, but he didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so he left Columbus, Ohio, and went to San Francisco. Until six years later, I got a phone call in my office in Maryland, and all I had to hear was, hey, I said, Mark. I just had to hear his voice, Mark, what's up? He said, I'm coming back to God. I'm coming back to God. I said, Mark, can you move to D.C.? Can you move down here to Maryland? He said, no, I got family in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I know there's a church there. And I'm moving back there. And I'm done with this life that I've been trying to live. I'm, I'm done with walking away from God. I'm, I want to come home. And so he moved to Minneapolis. And we stayed a little bit in touch. He's not a big guy to stay in, in touch. But nine years later, uh, I believe it was um, John Piper had a pastor's conference out of, at Bethlehem uh, Church. And so I went out there and I tried to track down Mark. I found Mark. And he was going on for God. He was serving the Lord. And he was married and he had kids and they were serving the Lord together. And I was just so glad to hear that. I was hoping to hear from him before this. I sent out, I, tried, I, I tracked it down his, uh, his Facebook uh, entry recently, and I've tracked it down, and um, I'll let you know if I, if I hear from him. But I, but I was just so excited. When I got there to Minneapolis, I found out that he was actually a leader in the church there, and, and God was doing some great things for him nine years later on. Galatians 6.1 says, this isn't in your outline, Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you do too be tempted. If you know someone who's wandered away and they're in sin, oh, it's so easy to just dismiss them and say, I don't really have anything to do with that lifestyle. I don't really want to, anything to do with that person any longer. But, oh, that is not the heart of God. 
If you know somebody, it says here, who's caught, who's trapped, who's snared, restore them. Do everything that you can to restore them. And do it in the spirit with gentleness and kindness and patience and generosity and mercy and understanding and listening and humbling yourselves and confessing anything that would keep them, that anything in your heart that would keep them from Christ and reason with them. Don't reject them. And pray for them. And go to them. And then we have non-believers that have been with us and they walk away. They walk away. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, I, I would normally think about this as a Paul's heart towards equipping the church and building into lives there in a church. But, but he says it this way, and I think it's all-encompassing, not just to, to Christians, but to non-Christians as well. It says, and we proclaim him, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I wanted to capture that last part, the energy and the effort and the sacrifice and the willingness and the desire and the expense that he was willing to go through in order to present people complete in Christ. We proclaim, him we proclaim, warning everyone. When we started our outreach at the University of Maryland many years ago, um, there's this one guy, I think his name was Craig. I'll say Craig. And Craig was responsive to me. I was in a meeting. He showed up at one of our Bible studies, and he was really responsive. And like we got together every single day, and he was just drinking it all in. And he was just getting around and meeting everyone in the, in the group. And we just had this amazing, I'm thinking, this guy is like rookie of the year. I mean, this guy was so, so, in, he was so, connected immediately and right away was involved. And we had gospel conversations and so forth. And he was not a Christian, but he was so, so, so close, it seemed. And one night after about three weeks, it kind of came to a long conversation he and I had. And I was pleading with him and I was urging him. And I was warning him that he couldn't just stay on the fence. He needed to accept Christ. He needed, he needed to put his hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he was gone. He was gone. And a week later, as, as we are, our outreach was predominantly at the University of Maryland, on the back page of the Lantern newspaper was a half-page article that said, three weeks of turning the other cheek. And he wrote about how he had infiltrated us for three weeks to find out what this Christianity stuff is all about. And he, and he even went through conversations that I had had with him, and even to the point of saying and about the warnings that I had given to him. So he kind of preached some of the message that I would have given to that whole campus anyway. 
But God wants us to take the opportunities. Even if it feels like it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't make any sense, it doesn't, it doesn't stick. How committed are we as a church? How committed are you as a believer? Especially as God brings people into your life. Especially as God brings people into your, works, your workspace. And in your neighborhood. And in your classroom. Our sovereign God has orchestrated people all around us. But as it relates to this church, there are going to be people who come, who will not believe, and they'll go. Will you follow them and have a conversation and draw them out? Paul said, for this I toil, I'm struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. If I could have the worship team come. You know, God never asks us to do something that he didn't himself model for us. I mean, I think about Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus you know, it's a familiar story to many of us. He was an outcast. He was not somebody anybody wanted to spend time with. He was Jewish. He's part of the Jewish household, so to speak. But Jesus said, I want to have lunch with you today. I want to go to your house. I want to be with you. And after sharing with him, we don't know exactly what he shared, but he came away saying, I'm going to give half away, I'm going to give away half of everything I own. And if anyone's been defrauded by me, I'm going to give them multiplied back to pay them back. And following that text where he just impacted this unbeliever, hated person's life, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's, this is why I came, he said. I came to seek and to save the lost. So be glad that that's his heart towards you and me and my loved ones. Because the Bible says we were not seeking him. The Bible says that we were not humbly believing in him the Bible says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as we prepare for communion, I want you to just let, I don't want this just to be theological knowledge that we have, that we just kind of, in our mind, oh yeah, I know, he died for my sins, and that's good, and thank you, God, you know. You and I, we're destined for destruction, eternal destruction, away from the presence of God in outer darkness, where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he saw you, and he knew you, and he came for you. And he was rejected for you, and he was beaten for you, and he was crucified for you, and he lost the fellowship that he had had for all eternity past 
for a time as the Father was pleased to crush him for you and for me. And he wants us to remember that because I don't want to guilt you into talking to people, going after people, sharing with people. I want to, I want to remind you. I want to remind you what good news that we have to share with one another, to share with those who are slipping away, to share with those who think the world is a better place without God, to share with those who perhaps they're still snared by their sins or blinded by the devil who will seek to keep this message from them. But he's given us a reminder so we can freshly think of his love towards us. So Lord, thank you for this bread. Lord, you gave your body for us. You willingly came, you willingly gave your body to be crucified, to be given. You are the sacrificial lamb. Thank you. Thank you for this cup as well that reminds us that we couldn't, be, we couldn't buy our salvation, we couldn't earn our salvation. There was no other sacrifice that would ultimately pay for our salvation except for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We take this in honor of you. Jesus told a parable in Luke 15, he said, which man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous person who need no repentance. When someone wanders from the truth, do what you can. Do what you can. Do what you can. Let's stand and sing.